We will be reading from Isaiah 9, 1 to, 1 to 17. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Good job, Vinny. I feel right at home. So Vinny normally reads a little bit on a Friday night. We normally have a bunch of the people actually in the front row. Hey, guys. I feel right at home tonight. Um, we normally have a bunch of them reading on um, Friday night, praying, getting involved in our service, so it's very cool to have you up here reading, Vinny, and you read beautifully, so I'm clapping on the inside. We, we have a little in-joke of clapping after the Bible reader, but I don't think we need to start it on Saturday night. That's just for us. Anyway, um, hello, my name is Braden. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul Revival. Um, depending on how I'm feeling, I'm either the student pastor or the arts pastor, just <laughs> depending on the day, and if I haven't met you before, I'd love to chat with you over dinner. It's my pleasure um, tonight to open the word with you all, to, all and I'm going to begin in prayer. So if you'll bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us tonight as your people and I pray that we won't be distracted by the things of this world. I pray that we can stop, come to your word with open ears and soft hearts as people of God who are hungry for your word. Amen. So, Tonight we are continuing on with our new series in Advent, but instead of counting down to Christmas by eating chocolate out of a calendar, we're looking at the promises in the Bible that the Bible makes about the Messiah and how Jesus then came to fulfill these promises. So last week um, we started the Advent series with Jai and we started in Jeremiah 33, 14 and 16. And Jai looked at how Jesus came to fulfill the promise of hope that was made in Jeremiah. Likewise, tonight, um, as Vinny so wonderfully read, we're looking at Isaiah 9. Now, this is a pretty short passage. I'm just going to jump in and out of um, verse 5 and verse 6. And it's pretty quiet. It's just two verses, but it actually has a lot to say about what the Messiah would come and do. And if you know a bit about Isaiah, you know a bit about what's going on. This passage was written about 740 years-ish before Jesus was born. And before I jump into this passage and we have a little look, I'd like to ask two quick questions. So, would you call your life peaceful? Do you live a peaceful life? Now, Advent, 
Christmas, it's a pretty interesting time to be talking about peace. Because when I think about Christmas, I don't know, raise of hands, who thinks about peace when they think about Christmas? Yeah, Vinny, Vinny thought about it. Anyway, not really. Not really at all, actually not really in the slightest. When I think about Christmas, I think chaos. I think packed Miranda Fair, trying to get a park, cursing everyone's existence, trying to get Dad to come because he's the lucky charm who always gets a park right away. Last minute dashes, it's a public holiday tomorrow. We all need to get everything now before the shops are closed. I think Santa photos, dying inside, trying to get one of the kids to smile at the same time. Hopefully you get all of them and you just end up giving up and hoping for the best. Overall, for me, when I think about Christmas or looking back when I was growing up at home, I think cleaning. I think mum stressing, trying to get three boys to clean their room before Christmas Day. And mum, it's just family. Who cares? We know their slobs. They know we're slobs. Why do we even bother cleaning? Why are we putting on this front still? That never went down well. <laughs> and don't even get me started on Christmas Day. Rushing from event to event, remembering why you only see these people once a year. <laughs> Christmas is chaos. And it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing to talk about an event that celebrates the coming Messiah, a Messiah who we'll look at tonight. It says, will bring peace is now the busiest time of year for a lot of people. And I'm excited to get to talk, to peace, uh, talk about peace tonight because it's a great topic. And I think it's a great topic because you would think we would know a bit about peace. Though I didn't have many hands raised, you'd think we'd be experts at it by now. We haven't really had to experience war in Australia for a little while. I even had to Google this week, is Australia at war with anyone? Kinda, war on terror, kind of. The Wikipedia page was longer than it should have been. But I feel like if you have to Google if your country's at war with anyone, that's a pretty good start of knowing stuff about peace. And I'll even go as far to say that as a wider society, we're pretty obsessed with peace. That's what we're often talking about on the news. That's something we all strive towards. The answer is so many prayers, world peace. We're often talking about peacefulness, safety, comfort. It gets talked about a lot. And we do talk about peace a lot. And it seems, if you would think about it, if you would be gathering the resources of what's going on on the news, you would have a pretty simple definition. The, world, the worldly peace... Um, sorry, the worldly definition of peace is an absence of war. I even looked it up. Freedom from disturbance or a state of period in which there is no war or war has ended. It's pretty standard for us. If you're not at war, you have peace. Wrapped up, ready to go, you can go home. Not really, because tonight we're looking at biblical peace. We're looking at what the Bible has to say about it. And I think that gives us a great opportunity to stop, reflect, compare, and think about what's going on in our world and what the Bible has to say about it. So as the reading um, described tonight, and I think it's pretty interesting, the biblical concept of peace is actually much bigger. Verse 5, Every warrior's boot used in battle and garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fueled to the fire. So it does say that there will be no more war. 
does say the Messiah will come to end the war, and this is echoed in lots of places in the Bible. Psalm 46, 9, it says about the Lord, he will make wars cease to the ends of the earth. He will break the bow and shatter the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Things of war will perish and come to the end. So that is part of it. No war is an aspect of biblical peace, as it is the whole of worldly peace, but it isn't the complete picture. I want to turn our attention to verse 6, and that's where we're going to be spending most of our time tonight. And we see at the end of the verse, the most important thing that I'm going to cover tonight, we see the Messiah, the Saviour will come, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. And that's what it says. So, as we kick off, in this passage, Isaiah 9, verse 6, what are we being promised and what does it look like? We're looking at the promises that God has made and fulfilled. What are we being promised and what does it look like? Firstly, what are we being promised? Well, as I said, tonight I gave a quick idea of what I think worldly peace is, but we're actually looking at biblical peace tonight. So... The Hebrew word, I hate doing languages. If you know me, language isn't my favourite thing I study. But the Hebrew word used in this passage for peace is one you've probably heard before, shalom. In modern Hebrew, they use it as a greeting to say hello, goodbye. And in that context, it's pretty simple. But we're actually looking at Old Testament Isaiah, so written a long, long, long time ago, 2,700 years ago-ish. And shalom had a little bit of a different meaning than it does when they're using it to greet or to say goodbye. So, in this context, shalom here, as written in Hebrew, means complete, whole, nothing missing. The root word is shalom. Shalom is translated as make it good, shall surely pay, to make full restoration or to restore. The ancient Hebrew meaning of the word shalom was to make whole, not just regarding practical restoration of things that were lost or stolen, but meant an overall sense of fullness, completeness in body, state, and mind. To bring shalom is to make complete. So biblical peace is more about making things complete. It's more about making things whole again and to be Peaceful in the Bible is to be complete. So, Shalom, that's your Hebrew lesson for today. Good job, you passed with flying colours. And the promise here, therefore, isn't just that the Prince of Peace will come and will end all war, that is part of it, but it is that the Messiah will restore everything to completion and fullness. So, in these short verses, verse 5 and 6, mainly verse 6, this passage gives us a number of titles, I would almost say job descriptions, for what the Messiah would come and do. It gives us a glimpse through these titles onto what he was coming on this earth to do, what the Israelites at this time were to expect. Like if you called a bricklayer, I'd assume someone would say, you're going to lay some bricks. It's a pretty straightforward Concept, and we see in verse 6, they call Jesus, well, they call the Messiah four different things. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. 
And it's wonderful to think and um, ponder on how beautiful those names are. And I'm going to go through one each at a time because I think they are really, really important and a really beautiful thing to concentrate when you think about what Isaiah says the Messiah will be. He will be a wonderful counsellor, a counsellor, someone who makes wise plans, who makes good decisions. There's also a relational element there, an intimacy that he will advise his people, but not only give them advice, but interact with them. Not be a cold ruler at a distance giving orders, but instead they will be involved in our lives giving advice and telling. The Messiah will be a ruler who is beyond capabilities, but will help to guide his people in relationship. The next thing that's described about the Messiah in this passage is mighty God. This one's a little bit more straightforward. The Messiah coming will be God himself. He will be called Mighty God. He will be powerful. And Mighty God is actually a title God uses for himself in lots of places in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10, 17, Nehemiah 9, 32, Jeremiah 32, 18. There's lots of places that he uses this title for himself. What does this tell us? It tells us the Messiah will be powerful, but it also gives us insight that he will be God. Next thing, everlasting father. Now, father here isn't really talking about the Trinitarian form of father, as in father, son, Holy Spirit. Rather, it's instead portraying the Messiah as a protector. It's almost like the ideal task of the king in the Old Testament. A king was to be the guardian of his people. The king was meant to be well-meaning and kind protector. The Messiah, therefore, will be an everlasting protector of his people, treating them like his children. Again, intimate language, telling us that this Messiah will be everlasting, so big and powerful we can't even imagine, but also a father, intimate and known. And we come to the last one, Prince of Peace, which is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. But I'll get back to that shortly. So, we have been promised... What are we being promised In the coming of Messiah, in this passage, we're being promised a wonderful counsellor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. So, what does that look like? And I said we'd get back to it, so we got back to it quickly. As pointed out in verse 6, the Messiah will be the Prince of Peace. This is a ruler. This ruler will be someone whose reign is about bringing in peace. The Messiah will make peace. And for this series, we've been looking at how Jesus will fulfill these promises about Messiah in the Old Testament. So, when we say, what does it look like? What does it look like to be the Prince of Peace as we turn to Jesus? And how does Jesus fulfill these promises? We see this all throughout the writings of the New Testament as we look forward. Jesus makes peace. Firstly, between us and God, Romans 5, 1 and 2, we have peace because we have been reconciled to God through Jesus. We have not stopped doing damage to our relationship with God, but our relationship with God has been made whole again. Jesus restores it. Between us and each other, Jesus comes and he restores our relationship with each other. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, Jesus has reconciled us with God, with each other, we can have peace. 
So, he doesn't just stop the conflict between God and others. He doesn't just make sure that there is an absence of war between us, that we aren't in conflict with each other, that we aren't in conflict with God. He does more than that. He restores these relationships. He makes them new again. Jesus doesn't come to end all war. He does come to end all war, sorry, but he doesn't just come to do that. He comes to make things complete. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, God was pleased to reconcile the world to himself through Jesus. We have peace with God because of Jesus' blood. Jesus is the completion of God's plans and he completes and restores our relationships with God and each other. Ephesians 1.9 He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times reach their fulfilment to bring unity to all things on heaven and earth under Christ. God's plan for salvation is that everything in the Old Testament, sorry, God's plan for salvation and everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus and everything in the New Testament points back to him. So, true peace, biblical peace, is a much bigger and harder concept than worldly peace because it isn't just the absence of war. It's taking something that is completely broken and making it whole again, and restoring it to completeness. So, as I began, would you call your life peaceful? Do you live a peaceful life? I think it's easy um, to feel as Christians um, that we don't have anything to offer the world. Or we can be challenged and say, all that we have to offer is conflict. Changes to ideas and difference. But I think it's very encouraging, as I've got to read this week and as we've looked at tonight, that Christians can offer biblical peace, true peace. What we can offer the world is not just an absence of war. The work of Christ on the cross offers restoration. It restores us in right relationship to our Creator, our Heavenly Father. It restores us in right relationship to each other, And it's taking what is broken and making it what it's meant to be, but only through Jesus. As Ross pointed out before, Ephesians 1 to 3, if you want to be encouraged and look at what a Christian life can be, is awesome. So I'm going to jump into Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 14 to 18, Paul writes, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups... Um, Sorry, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross, by which he has put to death their hostility. He has came and preach peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father via one Spirit. Now Paul there is talking about Jews and Gentiles coming together under God. But even so, that peace is still as true today as the moment he wrote it, and as, and as Isaiah wrote it 
700 years before that-ish. So I challenge us this Christmas, seems like we're all going to have a pretty chaotic time by the way the room felt. It is a time of chaos, but my question is, are you just trying to survive? Are you putting your head down and just avoiding it? Or are we following the example of our saviour Jesus who came to make peace and was a peacemaker? Are we being peacemakers for the people around us? Are we just looking to avoid conflict or are we seeking to make things right? Now this is really hard <laughs> because we're on this side of heaven. We're on in this now, not yet um, context. As um, Ross mentioned, we still sin, we still suffer, we disobey God, we hurt each other all the time and it can be really, really hard to change and it can be really, really hard to change your mind. And I think um, the closing thought I want to leave us with tonight is the, probably the most encouraging thought because we're aiming high. We're aiming very high. And the most encouraging thing we can do and the, the most encouraging thing that God has left us with is his Holy Spirit. And if we pray and we read and we continue to live as God has um, commanded, we can try and help to change with the Holy Spirit changing us every day to be more like Christ. And with forgiveness, patience, and understanding for the people around us, as we try and model the forgiveness, patience, and understanding that Christ modelled for us, we can be, have assurance in, the hope, in our hope and in the fact that we have been made right again with God, with each other, through Jesus, our wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I'm going to finish in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son so that we might have peace with you. Thank you that we are reconciled to you through Jesus' death on the cross. And I thank you that we can be at peace through, with each other through this as well. Lord, I pray that we, um, Lord, I pray that we can reflect these relationships that we have with the, those around us, especially as life is busy and in the way. Lord, I pray we can reflect on these things as we head towards Christmas. Amen.